life is precious and it's short, even if it feels long and it is long in some ways, it is very short. Um, our chance to actually be a benefit in it. You know, there's so much suffering and confusion in the world. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. I hope that Radically Loved Radio leaves you feeling inspired to create something powerful. My teacher, Yoga Rupa Rodstreicher, says, if you powerfully believe in the value you have to offer the world, your love and passion for it will be an unstoppable force. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic, the coffee that gets you fired up. Aside from supporting energy, stamina, and athletic performance, cordyceps have been studied for their strong antioxidant properties. I have been so obsessed with this coffee for the last year. I've been drinking it and I've been traveling with it. And in case coffee doesn't pump you up enough, how about coffee paired with one of the most energy-supporting mushrooms on the planet, cordyceps. So coffee is so energizing because it stimulates the central nervous system and the adrenal glands. But combining this with a more balanced cellular energy to support uh, our immune system and our health function, this mushroom can result in a balanced stimulation while using only half of the amount of caffeine normally found in a coffee, which is awesome. <laughs> they also have an incredible matcha mix that is my absolutely new favorite, and they want to give our listeners a gift. So for those of you who are curious and want to try the mushroom coffee that doesn't taste like mushrooms, go to foursigmatic.com forward slash radically loved. So that's foursigmatic.com forward slash R-A-D-I-C-A-L-L-Y-L-O-V-E-D for 15% off of all of their products. Thanks for listening. You, your work and, and everything that you've written about and what you've created has focused so much on, uh, I said it earlier when we were talking, but really adding value to the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't want to limit it to just the health and wellness industry because I feel like it goes way above and beyond that. So, um, first of all, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, I've been a fan for, from afar for uh, a very long time. I, I think that we have a lot of uh, yeah, mutual friends. I'm sure. Uh, but I really have, uh, anytime I'm looking for real journalism, or the truth about a topic, maybe it's a, a topic that's going on in the yoga world or something. Mm. Elephant Journal is definitely the place I go mm. for uh, a real uh, point of view. How did you decide that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah, well, I was, you know, I was a funny little kid. I grew up in the Buddhist community in Boulder, and I loved writing. I'm not totally sure how that started. I loved baseball. And I think I wanted to become a baseball writer for some reason. Not really. I think I read a lot. I was like, I, of, I was like, I think I remember like being eight and thinking about being a baseball writer. <laughs> I was like pretty obsessed with baseball. Okay. I was pretty good at it too. So I'm, I'm curious why I didn't fantasize about being a baseball star. Hmm. It's odd. Maybe I did. But um, anyway, so my father was a writer. My mom is you know, like a Shakespeare scholar and a writer, writing teacher, and maybe that's why, maybe it was just like a family thing, and uh, and I realized pretty quickly, you know, I grew up pretty poor with a single mom, and that, um, you know, writing was a great way to stay poor, 
Um, even then, back in the like eighties, you know, when journalism was super healthy, um, uh, I felt like I needed to find a way to make money writing because yeah. I wanted. I had this entrepreneurial thing. It wasn't really entrepreneurial. Like in the Buddhist world, they talk about being a benefit, or we talk about it, and uh, you know that life is precious and it's short. Even if it feels long, and it is long in some ways, it is very short. Um, our chance to actually be a benefit in it. You know, there's so much suffering and confusion in the world. Even in beautiful Venice and LA, people are going through, you know, suffering internally often. Yeah. So I wanted to be of some benefit, and um, writing seemed like a good way to do that. And when it came time, I, you know, I wanted to start a. I worked at Shamal Publications in Boston, which is a wonderful publisher. But, you know, I made eight and a half bucks an hour and uh, they kept me at 39 hours a week so that I didn't get health care. I just realized, like, writing is not a world that unless you own stuff, you're not going to do well. So and my mentors were all, you know, cultures changing so rapidly in good ways. My mentors were all men and they were all completely uninterested in mentoring me. You know, it was a very sort of like the patriarchal kind of thing. Um, and they were great guys. Like I still know them and love them, but they like really weren't interested in mentoring. So I sought out mentors. I was always good at that. I didn't have a father. So I think I naturally was like seeking out people to teach me whether it was like how to shave or basketball or whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was super broke up until like 28. I was like eating day old muffins and, just kind of figuring it out. And I worked for Shamala Mountain Center, which is a top 10 retreat in the US. And my mentor there, my boss, actually enjoyed young people and taught me stuff. And it was probably the first time I felt someone enjoyed mentoring, um, other than like my childhood summer camp, Buddhist summer camp guy, who was amazing. I just interviewed him on our show, which was a thrill. Um, my childhood summer camp oh I love that he's amazing Um, but so I worked there I learned I learned business and I learned program development and I hosted Cindy Lee and Richard Freeman as our first yoga program at Shamala like two of the best yeah like by the best I mean integrity absolutely yeah caring and humor and um, and then I wanted I, but I was making 30,000 bucks a year. I was like doing a ton of work. I was like basically number two in the entire fundraising arm. We raised 12 and a half million bucks, built all these buildings. And I couldn't even get a raise. Like I went for a raise and he was like, look, you're not good at priorities, which I'm still not good at. I like doing everything kind of. And uh, I was like, you know what? You're right. And I, I've heard that feedback from you year after year. And don't think that's my strength. And we just like amicably parted ways over lunch spontaneously instead of getting a raise. And I went to Naropa University briefly, got a ton of debt, left quickly before I got more debt um, because they don't have any, um, as things probably should be, they didn't have any grants for white males. (laughs) (laughs) It's a small university and all the grants went to people who, you know, uh, whatever, culturally deserve it more. So... I left, but it was a great experience, the writing school, and we created tons of trouble. We started this whole, like, only in Boulder could, like, a movement, a meditation movement be, like, revolutionary. And right. We started this whole meditation game. Because <laughs> nobody in Europe was meditating anymore. I had to, like, kind of got away from this roots. Yeah. And, uh, and, then I went, and then I was going to go back and start journalism. And I was living up at Chautauqua, if you know Boulder. Yeah. In yeah. a little cabin cottage and I, I stepped outside and ran into my neighbor who was an actual journalist, Ashley, and a yoga teacher. And she was on her way to do laundry and I was like, hey, any tips for I'm going to get back into journalism? She was like, hey, you should go check this guy out, Travis. He's trying to start a magazine. He has no idea what he's doing, but he's a good guy. So I went by. I said, hey, I'd love to write an article for you for free. He said, like, be my partner. <laughs> I was like, no. I was like, I don't want to make awful money for more years doing something I love. Like, I've done that for, you know, my whole life. So this is the short story, the short version, believe it or not, because I know it's long. Um, And 
is this the right amount of depth? Yeah, no, that's, no, no, that's good. So I, I love <laughs> yeah. to hear stories like that yeah. where especially you had tried something that really wasn't working and it almost kind of created this disillusionment to something that you were so passionate about, right? Yeah. I mean, are you talking about like doing what you love and making no money? or Yeah, no yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or doing what you hate but making good money. Right, right, right. the dichotomy, not to rag on men too much, but like that's the patriarchal dichotomy of exploitation through business that we've all grown up with. And B Corp and other wonderful organizations are saying, no, you can be a benefit and make good money. Imagine. Yeah. Like Dr. Bronner's Patagonia. There's certain businesses who yeah. do that. Yeah. So cut to... Yeah, so I sat down with this guy. I said, but I would be interested in partnering if you want to partner. So we became 50-50 partners. He quit like a couple months later uh, because I always say he was smarter than me. He realized like this, there was no money in this. We were printing like newsprint. His wife was on the cover. She's a wonderful yoga teacher, uh, trained with Richard Freeman and others and um, John Friend, I think, back in the day. And Anyway... I just stuck with it. I put my lifetime savings in it, which wasn't much, but it was a lot to me. And just like grew it. I handed it to my Buddhist teacher at the time. I was so proud of the first issue. And he looked at it and he went, it's very small. (laughs) And I was like, oh, it was pretty funny. But I was so proud. And uh, because I never thought, I didn't know how to, I feel like everything's so easy now, like podcasts and Facebook Live and Instagram, LinkedIn, but like growing up in the 90s, back in the day with broke, you had no idea how to start a business. Like Kickstarter didn't exist. No, they didn't have anything. The idea of me writing a book was like so hard. You have to get an agent and you're nobody. And how do you even do this stuff? And now it's like, we love to complain about technology and all that, but there's a real sense of that you can figure it out right now. Yeah. Through networking. Yeah. So now where you are, you've created this incredible platform that is so vast. Did you ever think that you'd get it to this point back then? Yes, I did. I, I, I was sitting down with Travis, my initial partner, and I like I was good at writing, and I was good at doing the reviews, and I figured out how to message companies and get products to review, which I had no idea how to do, and I turned out to be good at selling ads, and like I was like, you know, none of this is bragging. Like for anyone who's listening or, uh, you know, maybe you in your life, like when you find what you're actually good at, you're yeah. like, oh, I'm home. I can yeah. actually contribute here. So I wasn't great at everything, but I was like good enough at enough of the parts. Right. And so I, I, um, I just stuck with it. And I really had this feeling like I didn't know how to grow fast, but I knew how to grow steadily yeah and we very soon we were newsprint when it was more beautiful and it was eco paper and we went national and whole foods and all that stuff and it just was like fun it was just it was exhausting and you burn out and you had deadlines but it was fun and meaningful and yeah. i was psyched still up to get up every day doing it how did you manage to differentiate differentiate yourself from all the other there wasn't very many at the time Right. But how did you manage to differentiate yourself from other um, online publications or print publications at the time? Well, uh, so that's a great question. So, um, you know, I always wanted the voice of Elephant to be almost like the voice of the New Yorker, like good reporting. We're not nearly as good as the New Yorker. Well, I worship them. I can say that you are. Yeah, I'll take that and and just (laughs) hold that compliment. Uh, But uh, but um, you just have a warm, quirky, like your voice. Anyone's voice is not my voice. It's anyone's actual voice is the voice of elephant. And bringing that out is the job of the editors that we that we work with, who are a great team. And uh, um. I think, you know, we wanted to be accessible. Our mission is to reach beyond the choir to all those who may give a care. So our mission is not to, like, the initial name of the magazine that Travis was starting was called Yoga in the Rockies. And when he left, I changed it to Elephant because I didn't want it to be about yoga. I didn't, I don't, in a funny way, care about the yoga community in terms of itself. I think the yoga community, like my Buddhist teacher would always say, turn the flower outwards. Like, 
Yoga people care about music. Yoga people care about farmers market. Yoga people care about gun violence. Yoga people care about inequality. Yoga people care about lunch. You know, like what do we care about? Um, so elephant was meant to be about everything and outside of the choir, not for us, but for all of us. And, uh, when we went online, I had I had a lot of good colleagues who were rocking online, and we went online just as soon as it was basically free to do so. In the very early days, you know, Huffington Post and everyone had to kind of create their own blogging platform, and then WordPress and stuff came along, and it became yeah. free, so I jumped on there. I was like, wow, you can publish for free, and people can read in Mongolia like two seconds later. It's magic. To me, it was like Harry Potter stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, the newspaper has the moving video right. in, on the train to Hogwarts. And I was like, you can put a video in an article now. You can link a word, trumpa. When you're writing in the magazine, we had to explain what Chigim Trumpa was or yeah. who. But yeah. in the blog, you don't have to because you can just link it to an article. And someone can click it or not. And so to me, blogging is far superior to print. I know that's unpopular to say, but it's magic. You can link stuff. You can put videos in. Um, it's an exciting time. And you can reach anyone. Um, so then from then on, it grew far more quickly. Then I kind of got the confidence. I rocked Twitter. I rocked Facebook. We won awards on Twitter nationally for environmental coverage twice. And Facebook, we were like bigger than Huffington Post on Facebook until Facebook started offering the paid ads. Paid, yeah, the paid uh, reach or whatever yeah. that, you know, then we couldn't compete, but we just grew organically. We grew, we're hard to beat. Yeah. 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 It's interesting that you use the New Yorker as uh, like sort of the, the barometer, because for me, that's what I called Elephant Journal. I'm like, mm -hmm. that's the New Yorker of what's really happening in, in, you know, our community or, right. or the world of uh, mindfulness, yoga, yeah. meditation and environmentalism, right. you know, like all of those things. So, And that was the other answer. I would say our voice was not about any one thing. Yeah. It is for the yoga community. It is for the environmental community. Yeah. But it's for us to, to care beyond our own communities. Um, and I think the mix, so my my parents, teacher, Shigam Trumpo, had said, uh, when East meets West, the sparks will fly. And I yeah. think that applies to when you combine yoga and service and gardening and bicycling and family, like when you combine all these different things that too often get siloed, yeah. then the magic happens, the sparks fly. Yeah. You're not a demographic, you know, readers aren't a demographic. Right, right. And I think that uh, the people who know you and know your work can see that and feel that. And I think that you've done a really great job at also creating and empowering a platform of your readers to contribute and mm. to like be part of this community. Yeah. Um, tell me about your passion for the environment. Um, well, I would say we have two existential threats in the, the world today. Uh, and I'm not a parent, but if I were, I would take that very seriously in terms of making that decision to have children or not. Or I would, if I had kids, I would be incredibly freaked out, frankly, about these two things. One is nuclear war, which is not to bum everyone out, but it's almost a certainty it's going to happen. And it probably will happen because of rogue nu nuclear weapons that until the last year have been relatively secured around the world by many countries working together to make sure no terrorists or rogue enterprises can get a hold of nuclear weapons. But the State Department, the Energy Department have been devastated. More than 60% of the civil servants who are skilled and serve under any administration have quit in um, which department is it? State Department. Uh, and suddenly we're not funding keeping track of nuclear weapons in the world, which is insane. It only, as we've seen with Kim Jong-un or uh, even our own president, you know, having a trigger finger uh, near a nuclear weapon is not okay. Um, and the other one is climate change, and climate change is even scarier because it's already here and it's coming and no one seems to care. People talk about caring, but in our daily actions, we don't reflect that caring. Um, and to cheer things up, 
environmentalism is super fun. Like once you get into it, it literally is a meditation practice in your daily life. You don't have to just meditate in the morning or the evening or whatever, remembering to slow down and whether it's taking off your shoes or getting a, uh, not, you know, skipping the to-go cup or remembering your bag or, you know, taking the time to bike or walk or public transport or, you know, if you have an electric car and solar power or whatever, like, you know, everyone loves to make fun of the sort of Portlandia aspect of all this stuff. And I think you should because making fun of yourself is so healthy and it makes you enjoy the stuff instead of being self-righteous. <laughs> but I just wrote about this, but I feel like people are so afraid of being earnest mm. about anything. Like it's okay to care. Yeah. You know, and all my friends, like I'm vegan, but most of my friends aren't. And I, I always say, that's fine. Just boycott factory farming. Everyone agrees that's an evil. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, so does that mean you never eat meat or cheese in a restaurant unless you know the source? And they're like, they never even ask. So it's like, walk your talk. That's what my video series is called. Um, and, you know, when I had to give up nachos with cheese from factory farming in Mountain Sun, my favorite pub in Boulder, I was so mad. <laughs> I, having those amazing nachos and a beer was like a ritual in Boulder. <laughs> and I'm a big boy. And they were huge. I loved them. And they were so good. I still miss them. But it's like... The out of sight, out of mind thing is yeah. like such a sad thing, whether it's race or inequality or like this morning I was biking from like, I was meeting Sean Korn for breakfast at Cafe Gratitude and then a biking to Intelligentsia and on the way you see like homeless camped out and I actually appreciate that about Venice that it's not hidden, it's right there, you yeah. know, I was down in Anaheim and they literally had cleared the tunnels of all the homeless, they had like shipped them off somewhere, you're like, wow. So the whole out of sight thing is I just encourage people to kind of get real with yourself and say, yeah. where are my values? Well, I think that so much uh, of that comes from this idea that uh, if we don't talk about it, it's not really there. It's like death, right? Like nobody right. ever talks about death or dying because but, um, why? It, it's just as prevalent as people being born. Or sickness. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. I think that that's such a huge thing, you know, and... Um, <laughs> You know, I've read uh, uh, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche's mm -hmm. book on spiritual bypassing mm -hmm. or, you know, spiritual yeah. materialism, yeah. right? Great. And so I think that part of us not being able to really see those things or see things through fully is, is a big issue or, or having the uh, courage to speak our truth or actually say the things that are on our mind without fear. And I think right now just with what's happening in the world and our culture, everyone's kind of going into this like fear-based, non-reactive. Everyone's afraid to offend people or they're afraid to say what's really on their mind or afraid to really stand up for maybe what they believe in. And I think that if we really start to list the things that are important, like potential nuclear war, yeah. uh, climate change, um, you know, uh, social inequality, racism, you know, like all of these things, if we're able to have an honest conversation, then I think that we can really begin to see things change, you know? Yeah. I think one of the major dangers that you've touched on with the race and the inequality stuff, the social justice stuff, uh, is that as Trump Rinpoche again said, you know, aggression creates aggression. So we can be activists and we need to be activists in those areas and care. And, um, you know, the time is now, uh, the time was, I mean, we are making fast progress. I was just having coffee with a friend and I was like a hundred years ago, women didn't have the right to vote. Like things are moving, yeah. but they need to like, we want them all to move all the way now. Um, and, I think that's right. We expect that. We know. Yeah. We know better now. And um, but I think the obstacle is aggression by activists. An obstacle, I should say, because like I just wrote about feminism, and a friend of mine basically just who's a feminist like condemned me for whatever I said, and I didn't even say what she was saying. I was saying she was like just angry and 
there's some level of like, we need to encourage people to speak up and to be dumb and to ask dumb questions. I interviewed this young African-American lady who wrote this amazing article on Elephant uh, called The Only Black Girl in the Yoga Room or something. And it was a beautiful blog and I asked her if I could interview her. And I was like pretty like tiptoeing on tulips or whatever because I'm a big old white guy, you know? And uh, she just like disarmed me from the first second. She was cheerful and open and vulnerable and confident and just ready to talk about any of these scary issues. And uh, we really got into it because she was so open and I was able to say, so, you know, like, I don't want to be offended. You know, none of us, hopefully, on the right side of the fence, at least, want to be offensive. Right. But we're scared to be offensive. Right. And I think that that's sort of part of what's uh, crippling us right. into being and showing up uh, fully as we can. Because that, that's, that's fear is still driving us, right? Right. So And, and the aggression scares allies off. Right. Which may, you can blame the allies, like buck up, be brave, whatever. You've had it good for millennia. Yeah. Like show some courage. But at the same time, like, um, you know, as many people have said, feminism, this is what a feminist looks like. Like everyone should be feminist. We want everyone on board. We don't just want to be territorial about being right. Right. And I think that this whole thing with, um, what you're saying as far as, you know, your, your friends, you know, supporting the vegan movement, but then them not boycotting, you know, where their, their meat is coming from or something, you know, it's just like how people will stand up for, uh, an issue on a social platform, but then not follow through. Like everyone has, uh, you know, uh, small keyboard courage, Right. And then they won't actually right. do the follow through. And I think that that's sort of, you know, the, I feel like this is a big issue and it's a big issue with everything because it's like yeah. people then want to create boxes and put people in them. Like your feminist friends, like, Oh, this is what a feminist should look like. But I'm like, yeah, but you're then taking away from maybe people that don't look like this or don't do it. I, I think that part of what for me, you know, using yoga as, as a, as a way to, to live, Right. And knowing that yoga means union and yoga is is about, uh, you know, bringing the unconscious conscious. Right. It's a lifestyle. It's what you were saying, like turning the flower uh, outward. Uh, It's a holistic approach. And if I say, well, because you do yoga at 24 hour fitness and I do yoga at an ashram, I'm a yogi and you're not. I think that that's ridiculous, you know. Um, to say that because I have no idea, you know, this person could leave that room and go and volunteer at a homeless shelter and be practicing yoga more than I am. Yeah. You know, it's complicated stuff because while I agree with it, when you put it that way, if you put it the opposite way, like, um, you know, going to yoga with loud music and, um, you know, no teaching on alignment or breath. Uh, is basically aerobics and that's not actual yoga I also would agree with that in a certain to a certain degree I think it's a little judgmental but I I think genuine yoga there is something extra there there's some spiritual awakening or as you were saying uh, how did you put it like uh, the conscious making the the unconscious unconscious conscious conscious. Um, but at the same time going to 24 hour fitness doing that aerobics yoga is a gateway, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of all good. But at the same time, there are differences. Yeah. And if you're, you know, I was blessed in Boulder to get to study with Richard Freeman forever, study. And I I was never a serious yoga. I would just go and, but I remember like one of my first classes, I was trying to do like a backward bend, you know, and I'm like probably 30 at the time and I have like no flexibility. And he bends over me and, you know, pulls me up by my sort of shoulder blades uh-huh. and my lungs like went <gasps> like took this breath I had literally in 30 years never once taken maybe 28 years old and uh, it was and he just did it with a big smile and you're yeah. like wow this 
yoga is powerful stuff. Yeah. It changed my life that little Well, bit, Richard you know? Freeman's also a master teacher yeah. and yeah. he's like he's yeah. just incredible. I love him. He's yeah. I've had the uh, opportunity to practice and study cool. with him a little bit too and I think he's just Yeah. he's incredible. Um But there's so many good ones. Yeah. Too. There are. And yeah. there are some there are some too and it I don't want to get into yeah. that topic. We'll, we'll go yeah, on. Yeah, there's so many roads. Yeah, there's so many roads. So I'm I'm actually curious to talk to you about the social media platform because uh, we were talking about this just as mm. before we started actually right. recording um, about how uh, it can be used as a form of creating more uh, connection with you know maybe people but you know people can also see this this platform as creating more separation or maybe creating uh, more unhappiness with people who uh, utilize it as a way to bring themselves down or, or feel like they're not a part of something. So I'd like to, to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, social media, I think most people understand that it's basically like low-grade kryptonite and, you know, for our superhero selves. Like, you can go and work with it and, and it's powerful stuff and you can change the world. It's basically just communication. Nothing's wrong with it. But the, if you do it for longer than a little bit, you get kind of sucked in and you get weaker and you get depressed and bad things happen. And uh, Or maybe it's like the ring in Tolkien. I don't oh, know what yeah. the analogy is. Like yeah. if you keep it on for too long, you start yeah. something wrong, bad something happens. Something bad happens, that's yeah. great, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the other danger is you get full of yourself. which I So it is like the ring because the ring makes you all kind of egotistical. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like the ring. My precious. I know. And yeah, I was just having like, well, I was sort of, t- you know, making fun of. So I was meeting a whole bunch of like yogi celebs at uh, Cafe Gratitude in Venice the other day for lunch, which is one of the most LA sentences possible. But, um, and from a bolder boy point of view, people in LA are super inspiring because you're actually doing things for the world. You're, there's a big platform. Um, and people are ambitious in a good and bad way. But from a negative point of view, you can take pride in your followers. You can take pride in your fans. You can black mirror style. You can be like, I am valid because I have 1.6 million followers on Instagram. And um, that's, again, just the danger of like um, getting high on your own supply. Like. Yeah. You're doing this to be of service. So in Buddhism, they say if you want to be happy, think first of others. Thinking care, self-care, taking care of yourself is vital. But think first of others. Even in caring for yourself, there's an attitude of you're doing it so that you can be a benefit. And if you want to be miserable, think only of yourself. And I think social media can, I mean, don't want to offend you. I haven't looked at your account, but a lot of my friends every single one of their photos on Instagram, like every single one, every day, all year, are photos of themselves. And- um, Mine isn't like that, so you Okay, good. <laughs> I don't even know what, how, like maybe I'm lacking in, I've never been accused of not being, you know, people have accused me of being full of myself more than the opposite, but like, I don't know how I would take photos of myself every day. Like what would I, I'm not interested. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the danger of social media is that you can get depressed, you can get isolated, like you said, separated. Yeah. But you can also get full of yourself, which is a different kind of separation yeah. and depression. Mm-hmm. And then, but it, you can use it like we've seen with the, the gun protests yesterday across the nation. Yeah. Students have used it on Snapchat, et cetera, to, to communicate and to coordinate. And um, But it's so moving. They're just standing up and saying, no more, never again. And it will continue, not to get back into politics, unless we actually make changes, which we won't <laughs> this time around, unless we keep speaking up. Right. So right. it's a complicated world, but basically uh, social media is incredibly empowering too. Like Kickstarter, la la la. Like yeah. a boy with like no money built. You know, we got we reached twenty three million readers and then Facebook has cut us whittled us down over the last four years, but we're still big and we're we're building our own social media now so that we can what the world needs if the government were more powerful and more just the government would and no one likes the idea of this but everyone's fine with Alexa in your kitchen 
is there needs to be a nonprofit for benefit social media that allows everyone to connect and communicate, but doesn't allow it to be used for nefarious purposes or or even just monetizing your private messages with your partner, you know, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So yeah. that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, I think for you in, in your life, you, you've obviously had a very uh, mindful upbringing. So you've had the, to me, I'm like... Thanks, Mom. Yeah, right? Somebody like me is total, totes jelly Aww. of, you know, that, because I, I think it's incredible to, to be able to grow up having that yeah. that foundation. And I, I feel like mm. it definitely speaks to your character and what you've created because I feel like that is uh, uh, transferred in everything that you do and, and it shows up in everything that you touch and everything that you're wanting to create. It's exactly what you were saying. You're self-care first, but you're thinking about how this is impacting your interconnectedness with the other. Yeah. Right? So... Right now in your life, what what is your, I don't like to use the word like goal, right? But it's like, what is your, your biggest intention right now with what is it that you want to create next? Yeah. Um, well, in terms of the like mindful upbringing, I mean, it really was to my mom's credit and she didn't have a good upbringing. So she just like made it happen and she worked her butt off um, and she was broke the whole time and it was tough. Um, and, you know, my little generation of second generation Buddhists were called Dharma brats, uh, which was a play on army brat or Dharma bums. But I love the word brat because the notion is that you've been given a ton. And if you don't give it away, you're spoiled. You've been spoiled. Um, so if you don't pass it on um, tenfold. So that's what I want to do to answer your question. I want to... Um, like I interviewed this guy, this environmental hero of mine, Lester Brown, years ago, and he said media or education is the key to saving the world. Like it's actually doable to cheer people up if I have to press them about anything. Like we can change the world just by communicating and listening. Um, and often people think of communicating in a, again in the patriarchal kind of like like at yeah, converting yeah, people yeah, yeah. kind of way. Yeah. But listening is a huge part of it, and that includes with people who you um, might disagree with. And, you know, when I see people calling every Trump fan a racist or whatever, like sometimes that's true and that should be called out, hopefully in a gentle, fair conversation-making way. There's this wonderful black uh, guy. There's a documentary about him on Netflix, and he goes around just, like, meeting with Klan leaders and stuff. He's like, he's my idol. Like, he's not calling them racists. Or if he is, he's stating it as a fact, but that's not an accusation. He's like wanting to talk and he actually converts these people into, they realize he's a nice guy. And they're like, oh, the N-word, this N-word guy is a really nice guy. Maybe I shouldn't be racist. It's really sweet. Um, but yeah, if we can, if we can, uh, so in a concrete way, my goal or my intention is to create, is to make elephant huge uh, again, um, and even bigger, uh, one of the top sites in the world, um, like a Reddit or a New York Times, which I worship, so I don't say that lightly, and um, uh, for whatever mistakes the New York Times or any journalistic enterprise ever makes, and they do make mistakes, they are beholden to report the truth and to correct themselves when they mess up, and that's what I respect in a human being or journalism. And, uh, and then I'll die. I'll be done. I'll be, I'll be exhausted <laughs> just to make a big platform right. that, like you said, everyone can communicate. It's not my platform. It's not my point of view, particularly. Right. And then, then I'll be good. Hey buddy. Um, why, why do you think that, uh, journalism? Oh, shoes, 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 shoes. So you think we, we have a visitor, guys. Yeah, Brandy. Brandy. Uh, Brandy's making a, a guest uh, appearance on the show. That's right. It's like uh, a sitcom. People exactly. <laughs> we need the, the clap track. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Um, do you think that real journalism is a dying art? 
Oh, for sure. Uh, I think actually Trump has been fantastic for journalism. However, Trump is should be Edward R. Murrow should be every journalist's hero, and then Donald Trump because Donald Trump has threatened journalism again and again and again and again in a way that Republicans aren't comfortable with. Right. Uh, and I think you know we've seen subscriptions to Washington Post or New York Times or whomever just spike. Um, so in a funny way. He's been great for people appreciating it. That said, there's been a, a real undermining of journalism by the left and the right. Um, you know, people will share diatribes about how wonderful Bernie Sanders is or how evil Hillary Clinton is or how wonderful Trump is or whatever. And they none of these things have that much connection to facts or reporting or truth. They're just opinions, but in a um, in the form of journalism. So when I see, you know, I supported Bernie, I uh, donated to him, but when I see these left-wing blogs shared up, um, there's just as much aggression and just, just as little connection to the truth as I see in right-wing stuff. So everyone needs to understand that we all want to insult mainstream media, but media is a meaningless term. Media is entertainment. Media means Netflix. Media means... CNBC media means New Yorker. It means good and bad. Media is just a thing. It's like saying trees. It's not a particular kind of tree. A particular kind of tree within media is journalism. And journalism, whether it's The Economist on the right or New York Times, which people say is on the left, they have both kinds of people on their opinion pages, which are transparently labeled. So opinion is fine if it's labeled as such. Um, People need to, we need to have a common working understanding of facts. And when a lot of people think that Hillary Clinton is in part of a pedophile ring in a basement of a restaurant that doesn't even have a basement, um, we have a problem. And that's not a right-left problem. That's a fact, alternative fact problem. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, in a fun way, I think Elephant is trying to address that through. We're creating our own social media, which we call the ecosystem, uh, so that we can kind of get away from Facebook and Twitter where everyone's just so boxing at each other. Yeah, yeah. So I think that just creating a, uh, an equilibrium of facts and, and being able to have a dialogue or a conversation where you're debating actual yeah. factual evidence. Yeah. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your 15-year-old self? If oh, wow, that's good advice. Uh, good question. Um, how long would I have? You would have like a <laughs> Just minute, a, a one minute. Just a couple sentences. Just that's it. Um, I'd probably say... Meditate even more. I've meditated a fair amount, but meditation tends to be kind of not the first thing on my priority list. I do it twice a day, but I'm very speedy, and meditation slows that down and brings me into the present, and it's such good stuff. We have an endless amount of time to like scroll online and just diddle around watching Netflix movies we don't even like. But meditation, we're like rushing. We're like, ah, you know, I have five minutes, and yeah. maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. So, pro and I've done a lot, but, you know, I need more. And then number two, I would say, uh, you know, I really grew up with the point of view in Buddhism that all human beings are basically good. And Buddhism talks about an exception to that rule, which is called rudrahood, which is if you completely buy into your own thoughts and your own self-interest, you can actually be kind of a bad person. Um, and you stop, it's sort of like the alternative facts we were talking about, you stop um, recognizing the actual truth of the world and you start just living by your own kind of craziness. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really understand that as a kid. And I think that would have helped me protect myself a little bit better from sort of crazy people mm. in the world. Because, yeah. you know, I, when you're in media and you're doing business stuff, you run into a lot of, you run into everybody, really. Yeah. There's a, a couple people out there who don't, who are having a hard time and who are a little bit malevolent, not because they're bad people, but because they're believing their own thoughts completely. Yeah. And I didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. So. What would your 
95-year-old self tell you now? <clears throat> Meditate more, yet again. Um, probably, oh, that's a great question. Probably, for sure, travel, take some time off, have a family and children and stop working all the time. Probably, like, enjoy a little bit of life, which for many years was, I didn't have time for it because I was doing great, inspiring stuff. And at this point, it's probably more of a habit that I don't take time for it. Mm -hmm. You know, like my default was to say, no, I don't have time to do that. So this trip, I actually came close. I left my passport behind. I usually take it wherever I travel. This time I came close to being like, I don't have to be back in Boulder for a couple weeks. I'm going to go to Japan or New Zealand or like, I'm just going, you know, just keep going. So I'm getting close. Oh, good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What does freedom mean? Um, I mean, from a Buddhist point of view, as well as my point of view, I would say it, it means being present, not being subject or subjugated by your own discursive neurotic mind and actually being open and being that's what people call your best self. That's just your true self. It's not yeah. even your best self. It just is who you are. Yeah. yeah. What is love? Love, well, I wrote a whole book about that, but uh, love is, uh, not that I found any answers, but love is... Uh, Give them a little bit of a... Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you did. Maybe you did. Yeah. So love is, again, from a Buddhist point of view, is um, two open people who are listening as well as talking. I mean, that's what making love or dancing is. It's an interplay, a give and take. Uh, but with an acknowledgement that there's space between, so that you're always alone, but that's not a negative thing. They're always a little bit lonely, but that's not a negative thing. That that space is actually provides room for lack of claustrophobia, lack of clinginess, uh, always a sense of tenderness and humor and flirtation and all these wonderful things can go through that space when you don't feel the need to fuse into one kind of claustrophobic thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then the relationship can be a benefit. You can walk the path of it not all being about your relationship, but about helping each other be your best selves to help the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long answer. No, I love it. Uh, So good. So part of why I created this podcast and uh, this, this forum was to create a place for people to go to, to listen to people's stories about ritual or um, their belief system. It's, it's really about creating a community where we're all like-minded. We believe in the interconnectedness of each other. Um, radically loved is this idea that we are uh, radically loved by Source, God, Buddha, whatever, baby Krishna, I always use all of them. Like, whatever it is, whatever power of your understanding, we are uh, all loved and supported uh, by the universe. Uh, and we're radically loved. Right? So there's that, that thread. Um, so the question to you is, there's two. How do you feel radically loved? And what do you radically love? I don't know that I do feel radically loved. I think that's a powerful, powerful notion that you were just discussing that I think I forget about and I think a lot of us forget about. We feel conditionally loved. I feel very loved by various people in my life, but radically loved, I think there's some notion of being completely open and and humble in the context of the entire whenever we're talking about universe, but bigger than that. Um, but I do feel blessed. I feel blessed to be alive and to be healthy and to be able to be of some service, however much. Um, so it's a good reminder to open to that. So thank you. And then what do I radically love? I think I really do radically love this crazy species known as humankind. I mean, I think we're totally hopeless and messed up and wonderful and um, you know I was just listening to Louis Armstrong this morning that he has uh, what a wonderful world Uh, I actually didn't hear that one this morning but that's such a great song because it has that cheerfulness and that a little bit of heartbreak or tenderness or sadness in it and 
if we can work to save ourselves from ourselves, which I don't have a lot of confidence in, given that we can't even agree on common sense gun reform, let alone radical love, which would be everything, um, we, we could really enjoy this beautiful world instead of just kind of selfishly enjoying it and exploiting it as yeah. a society. Yeah. So, but not giving up hope is kind of, and not, and trying every day. You know, Yvonne Chouinard, who's one of my idols of Patagonia, says, we might be completely effed, but I'm still going to wake up in the morning and work as hard as I can to save what little I can, you know? Yeah. And I love that kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. So... Thank you so much, Leland. Hey, thank you. This has just been so, so great. And I feel like uh, this definitely is going to merit another conversation because I feel like we kind of just come, we've got just like iceberg uh, questions answered. So for um, the people listening who want a little bit more information about you uh, and and what you're doing, uh, where can people go for more information if they want to connect with you or if they want to write a book, etc.? Right, the book is at elephantjournal.com slash books, and the second one will be there as well. Uh, in terms of me, I'm all over. I'm all over. I'm on an elephant. I write a daily editor's letter, which is probably the best thing I write now. I don't write that much anymore. Because um, I'm writing a business and a staff and stuff. It's weird. Um, I used to write all the time. But um, yeah, that's at elephantjournal.com slash best you want to subscribe and get the newsletter. And the newsletter is like our online magazine. So it's our best articles of the day as well as my newsletter. And, um, you know, probably you guys will disagree with it sometimes or love it sometimes. Like, it's, I'm getting into it. Like we were talking about having those scary conversations. Yeah. I get into stuff. And and so there's not an expectation in Elephant or in my, my own self that people will be fans. I think that's a weird word. I think people are equals and will agree and disagree and hopefully contribute articles to Elephant or your own podcast or blog or whatever um, and discuss with respect. Yes. I love that. So for those of you listening, all of those links that Mm -hmm. um, he just mentioned are on the show notes. So you can click on the show notes and they will directly take you to um, all of those places. So thank you. So much. Thank you. You're great at this. You're a pro. It's a good experience. Um, Thank you all for listening. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us. Message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes. Write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.